Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. Michael Michelle stars as Dominique Devereaux in the remake of the popular 1980s TV soap opera Dynasty. The role of the jet set diva was first created by actress Diane Carroll, who proudly says she wanted to be, quote, the first black bitch on television. I spoke with Michelle about picking up where Diane Carroll left off to make the role her own, about starring in shows like Ava DuVernay's Queen Sugar, and about the progress Hollywood has made in terms of diversity and inclusion. And of course, we talked about her current obsessions. Well, so I would like to start by asking you a little bit about your career. I, I'm a fan of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and, and you had a starring role there. But you're, you've had a very um, varied career and done some really notable projects. Um, we're going to talk about one of the most recent one, which is Dynasty. But you've been uh, a recurring character on Queen Sugar. You've been in movies, Wesley Snipes, and others. And so let me ask you, just from your perspective, about when you were starting out in your career, what kinds of opportunities did you feel that you had? And do you think that entertainment industry has changed? So, so the opportunities I had very early on in my career were quite antithetical to, you know, where I am today in my career and the types of roles I wanted to play and the types of roles I wanted to pursue. So when I came in, uh, I had an idea of what I wanted to do and, and I lost my first big representatives in the industry because I wanted to play and represent a certain type of woman. And they said, listen, we can make a lot more money. And I'm not just being illustrative. I'm going to tell you verbatim what they said to me. They said, listen, we can put you in some short skirts and some heels and you can be sexy and we'll all make a lot of money. And I said, but that's not what I have an interest in doing. I'd like to play lawyers. I'd like to play cops. I'd like to play doctors. You know, and I'm and as I'm having this conversation, my representative said to me, you'll never play cops, docs, and lawyers. And I lost my representation within 24 hours. Um, and so, you know, and at the time, I felt that it was quite devastating for me. And so I set about pursuing specifically those types of roles. And so it was a real struggle. And it didn't turn around for me until Homicide Life on the Street. And that was, to me at the time, the epitome of doing great work. I loved doing television. Film was, you know, something that I would do if I had a break from television. I wasn't trying to be a film star. And so I tried for five years to get in just for a meeting. When I finally got in uh, to meet them, Tom Fontaine and Barry Levinson, they didn't have any material for me. And they gave me Andre Brower's material and said, you know, go out and see what you can do with it. I came back in, I ended up getting the part and that changed the trajectory of my career. And I was obviously playing Detective Shepard and it was not only a female cop, but a very gritty show. But I, it, it really took a lot of work to get to that. It was the type of voice I wanted, not only for myself, but just for women and specifically women of color. 
And let me just say, uh, well, first of all, you've been very successful at playing cops, docs, and lawyers. So kudos to you. But the timing that we're talking about, I mean, you know, if anybody's listening to this and thinking, oh my God, yeah, those were the old days. You're talking about the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, late 90s. Yeah, I did I did homicide in 99. Um, and uh, so, yeah, no, it was still an extraordinary struggle uh, up until that point. You did something that was very brave, right? Because you could have lost your career. And, you know, I'm sure you would have gone on to be successful in some other career if you so chose, because obviously you're passionate and you're driven. When you made that choice, was that something that... Um, you recognized at the time? Did you? Did someone advise you? I mean, that was a quite a big risk to take. When I look back at that time, and I have attempted to analyze what what I was choosing to do and what I was choosing to say and the position I was taking, it was really a continuation of what I often felt playing sports that I would not be taken as seriously, uh, that I must not have you know, the same ability as my teammates. And so, you know, it was just, you know, it wasn't something that I think uh, is 100% attributable to, to our business. I think it's a, it's a broader conversation that women in general have uh, and issues that we as women have, you know, we are often judged differently than men. Uh, and our business can be particularly brutal uh, because it is such a visual medium. So, you know, this is, you know, I'll probably always have that struggle because I'm always looking to have that conversation. And and that isn't the most profitable position in our industry. Um, I want to say that uh, you've had an amazing career and I want to call out some of the movies you've been in, New Jack City, Ali, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. On TV, you mentioned Homicide Life on the Streets, but also ER, Gossip Girl, Star, Queen Sugar, Dynasty. So, I mean, I think you've had a spectacular career myself. Um, <laughs> Thank you. How, what do you think of the industry today? How has it changed? Are you optimistic about some of the things you're seeing? There are a lot of women in positions of power. Uh, today. You know, it isn't just one woman at a network or one woman at a studio. And I believe when there are more women in the room, you see better roles for women. Uh, when you have more women in positions of power, you have more women in deciding, uh, you know, decision-making positions, you'll see greater roles for women. So I think that has improved without a doubt. It has improved. But so long as we're seeing roles where the women are 20 years younger than the leading man, we don't see the antithesis of that. Um, you know, I think it's great that we see someone like a Helen Mirren in this amazing, you know, action movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there there are a lot of struggles uh, that are still there for women, but it's better. It's better today, and I think it's better today because there are more women in the room making decisions. We'll talk about women of color, people of color. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about diversity in this country. Uh, there has always been a lot of talk about diversity in, within our industry. Of course, you know, we're hearing about, we're hearing that operative word more now than ever before as a result of everything that's happened in this country, uh, in and around Black Lives Matter and the police brutality and that sort of thing. 
Um, but when, when I often say to people, when you turn on the television, what do you see? Not when you turn on your particular programming choice. What do you see? If you, if you are just sitting down in front of the television and you're scrolling through, you know, 600, 700, 800 channels, however many channels, the overwhelming majority of what you see are not people of color, are not women of color. You know, you have a few roles here, a few roles there, but they're still rarefied opportunities. And because they are so rare, you see them a lot. So obviously Viola Davis has had extraordinary success. Kerry uh, uh, Washington, when Scandal came on, that was the first series since Diane Carroll's Julia, which was in the 1960s. So it took from 1960s until Kerry Washington and Scandal before you saw a black woman with her own show. Well, you know, and then you had Taraji on, on Taraji P. Henson on uh, Empire, but you can count them on one hand. You can count them on one hand. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And even for those of us who are working, it's a struggle to, uh, to be given your earned due. And, and by that, I mean, you know, if you, if you come to the table and you've done an extraordinary amount of work that you are not shoulder to shoulder with someone who has maybe done one show or two shows, that you are not placed in equal footing with someone who has done significantly less than yourself. And that's where it hasn't really shifted a great deal in our industry, that it's not equitable. I mean, I'm not quite sure how how to articulate it other than to say that success is not equitable. There's been a lot of talk in the industry this past year about some advancement in colorblind casting, thanks to Bridgerton on Netflix and, you know, Sonda Rhimes taking something that people have talked about in theater and movies for a long time, but really um, putting it out there in a way that more people have seen it than ever before. I think Bridgerton was extremely popular and right. Yes. There's a new season coming on. Yes. What did you think of that? Uh, well, first of all, uh, extraordinary, extraordinary piece of, 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 of creative filmmaking for television. Uh, and, and he is extraordinarily talented and beautiful and all of those things. But I think what is most important in that story is who is behind that type of casting. That's Shonda Rhimes, the same woman who is behind Scandal. That is an accomplishment. But what will be an even greater thing to see is when it doesn't take a Shonda Rhimes to make that happen. When when we have uh, a casting session and all people can come in. So if you're if you're casting a female role or a male role, you're looking at everyone. You're looking at people from the Asian community. You're looking at people from the Latin community. You're looking at people from the Black community. You're looking at everyone. Or who knows? Maybe they're mixed with many different things. You know, but 
But colorblind casting really means that you're not thinking about the race of an individual, unless it's specific to the story, that you're casting the best person for the role. And so it would be nice to see other people cast the same way Shonda Rhimes has, has chosen to cast her projects. Well, I hope, I hope they do. I mean, this is a moment in history, as you say, where attention and focus on um, not just talking about these issues, but actually doing something about it. Yes. Uh, Shonda Rhimes uh, did that. And we can talk about Queen Sugar. And you, mm-hmm. you have a recurring role on Queen Sugar. And who's behind that? Same thing. So, so Ava DuVernay is, is partially responsible for bringing me back into the industry full time. You know, it, it, you know, it allowed for the train to leave the station again because my train was, was packed away uh, because I, you know, been a mother. Uh, And so she called me and, and said, listen, I wrote this role. I've always had you in mind for it. And I'd love if you would do it. And I said, absolutely. I hadn't seen a script. I didn't need to see a script. And I'll tell you what's remarkable about Ava DuVernay. She's the real deal. There are a lot of people in this industry, and I've always been New York-based, so I I can't say that I can speak to all of the ins and outs uh, in Hollywood, but but there's a lot of talking in Hollywood and there's a lot of, um, you know, positioning so that one looks a particular way or sounds a particular way. And Ava DuVernay is the real deal and women first. And that is, to me, extraordinary. Women first. Uh, and, and, and she means what she says and she does what she means. And, and that is in and of itself is an extraordinary accomplishment. I mean, this is a woman who was the publicist on the movie, The Help. And she wanted to see things differently. She wanted to see things done a different way. And, and so she went about doing that. And the rest, the rest is as history, as they say. She is extremely impressive. And, um, the list of credits of the work that she's done is incredible. And so I'm not going to dispute anything you said there in any way. I'm really <laughs> happy that there is an Ava DuVernay mm-hmm. talking out. She's very active on social media as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate, um, like you say, her being the real deal and trying to have real conversations. Which real, is real in-depth conversations and meaningful conversations and conversations that move past Hollywood, you know, I mean, our industry and, you know, the medium of film and television are extraordinarily powerful. You know, when we want to elect officials, you know, they, yes, they write books, but if they want to be elected, they put themselves on television. You know, it is still an extraordinary medium and the most powerful medium we have. So if you have decided to come into this business and you're looking beyond that, which I believe she does, it's extraordinary. I mean, like there is a there is a social component to who she is. Absolutely. Let me switch tacks because I want to ask you about your role on Dynasty. And you mm-hmm. mentioned uh, Diane Carroll and playing on the show, Julia. I saw that when I was a kid. For some reason, I grew up in Brooklyn and it was on one of the uh, you know stations and they had it in a loop. So uh, Diane Carroll played a nurse. I had a Julia lunchbox. <laughs> Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I love it. So, 
I so wish I had kept it because oh, I think it good. would probably be worth a lot uh, today, oh, but I used to I carry it. it. Well, because to me, she was a nurse, right? It didn't even occur to me that she was a, um, you know, that she was breaking ground as a black woman on a television show. She was just a yeah. nurse. I thought it was cool. And right. I thought she was beautiful, right? Which yeah. all, all of those things are true. Um, yeah. But you've stepped into a role that Diane Carroll on Dynasty, the role of Dominique Devereaux, which I'll let you explain. But um, I was reading some interviews that Diane Carroll gave about taking on the role in the original Dynasty and saying that it was time for a uh, um, and I'm quoting her here, so please yes. don't anybody shoot the messenger that TV needed the first black bitch yes. in a TV show and she wanted to do it. So yes. uh, can you talk a little bit about your journey to playing this character, Dominique Devereaux? And, uh, yes. Take so, it away from- so, well, she absolutely did say she wanted to be the first black bitch on television. It should be noted that she saw herself on this show. So she found her way to Aaron Spelling's home when he was having a party. She invited herself. She went in. She, you know, she was Diane Carroll. So, you know, these things can happen a bit more easily when you're Diane Carroll. But she went to this party and she approached uh, the late Aaron Spelling and the creators of Dynasty and said to them, I see myself on this show. I want to be the first black bitch on television. And fortunately, they were evolved enough to say, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. And so what's most profound to me is the fact that she saw herself in that space before other people saw her in that space. And so I've often wondered, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Who is she or who was she as a woman that she could say, They may not see me as that person. They've not considered me. They've not thought this was needed, but I feel it's needed. I see myself in that place and I'm going to tell them I see myself in that place. And because she made that choice, and I think this, you know, that way of thinking can resonate far beyond the entertainment industry. You know, when I think of who she must have been as a woman to say that of herself and that 30, 40 years later, I'm now playing that role because she had the fortitude herself as a woman to say, I can do this. I deserve to have a seat at that table that you have built where you never considered anyone like myself to be seated in that in that space, to me, that is what I walk with every day when I walk onto the set of Dynasty because we're doing a a 2021 version of an 80s show. We had, you know, there's a great deal more levity. There's more humor. There's more campiness. You know, we have, you know, some elements on our show that didn't exist in the Joan Collins, uh, Diane Carroll period of the 80s. So I have to come with first who she was as a woman and try to bring that onto the set every single day. And and so I I try to I try to move with that even when I have to do something that's silly and campy and off the cuff, you know, 2021 version of Dynasty. Well, tell us about how you play Dominique Devereaux though. I mean campy I think is a fair um, is a fair description, but you're also, you're extremely powerful and, mm-hmm. you know, um, Diane Carroll 
2021 for sure, right? But why don't you tell us how you approach the role and how you see this character today? So so now, which I'm, I'm very glad the character has evolved into this now that we're uh, in the new season, but, you know, she now is the CEO of her own company uh, with Dom Mystique. And as a fashion designer, and it didn't just kind of, you know, come out of osmosis, you know, her, her mother passed. So a few episodes back, the audience had to see what that meant uh, to her as a daughter whose mother passed. And her mother was a great illustrator and a great seamstress. And so Dominique, who had been kind of trying to find her own footing, said, you know, I'm going to carry that torch for my mother and do what my mother didn't have the opportunity to do, which is to be a fashion designer. So so that's who Dominique is now. And of course, she's always wanted to be a part of the Carrington family because Blake's father, Blake Carrington's father, was also my father as a result of an affair. And so she was the half black child the Carrington family never wanted. And so that has been the story up until this point is the rejection of not only not only the rejection you know from her father, but the rejection uh, she suffered at the hands of the entire Carrington family. They didn't want her to be a part of the family. Fun to play? Absolutely a blast. You know, I I was afraid to play this part. I I wasn't for certain that I could do it because you know it's over the top. I mean, I was dragged out of the court courtroom last year screaming skank 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 let me get my pocketbook like who does that right <laughs> you know well you do it you do yeah it. I do it. I I do it so I said you know how do I do this you know but it was it was really nice because like I said I had lived in the world of cops docs and lawyers for a great part of my career and and I had been typecast and 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 enjoyed being typecast in those roles. So Dynasty has given me the opportunity to loosen the reins a little bit and to do something that is, you know, outlandish at times and fun. You know, I mean, listen, they still may say, no, I'm sorry, all she can ever play, you know, is, you know, someone with a stethoscope or a briefcase. But I'm having I'm having the opportunity to really laugh and be silly and have a great time. And then they throw me a bone every now and again to do something dramatic, you know? <laughs> well, I, I love it. She is over the top, but in a, in a very, um, you know, uh, an inspiring way to people who think that women need to just be one thing or oh, uh, have to act a certain way. Right. Yes. So yes, maybe not everyone as outlandish as that, but <laughs> Just a, a little bit of that edge, right? Bring that yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, she. I definitely wish that I could, you know, be as, um, uh, I, I don't know, maybe maybe bold is, is a good word. You know, she's very bold. Um, There's not a lot of reserve in her tank at all. It's, it's all out 100%, 100% of the time. So I, I do wish that I possessed a little bit of that in my real life. You know, I'm, I'm more of the person that's going to stand in the corner and watch versus be the center of attention. She wants to be and has to be, must always be the center of attention. <laughs> Okay, the name of this podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. So, uh, Michael, Michelle, what are you obsessed with? 
I find myself thinking a great deal about how our global uh, conversation has changed just in terms of people and life after this pandemic. I mean, that's what I'm really obsessed with right now. I'm thinking about how the world is reimagining what's important to them and and what's important to our lives, you know, outside of work, outside of accomplishing goals. I'm obsessed with that right now because, you know, social media you know, gives you the world at your fingertips. And so I have the opportunity to talk to a number of people and hear a number of people. And everyone seems to be reassessing their lives right now. And it doesn't matter who I'm talking to, it, you know, what generation it is, what race, what, you know, what part of the world. People, this pandemic has really forced people to reevaluate their lives. And I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with that right now, that people are actually stopping and thinking for a moment, particularly as Americans, because, you know, we live in, the, in a country that doesn't do a lot of, um, you know, time, you know, time to oneself. It's just about what's next, what's next, what am I doing next? What have I, am I accomplishing next? And everything else comes after. So that's what I'm obsessed right now. With. Has it has it led you to reevaluate something for yourself? What is that? I, you know, since I became a mother 16 years ago, uh, my life shifted considerably once I became a mom. And then, you know, by the time I, my son entered school, I was a single mother. And so I was, that situation alone forced me to really evaluate what was important for me at the time. And I was very career driven. Um, and, and so, yes, I think, well, now maybe, you know, it won't be so hard to convince some people maybe that there's more to life than just what we're accomplishing. You know, it, it matters. Family matters. Friends matter. These things matter. Um, you know, it, we shouldn't have to always say, well, if I have a career, I can't have a family. Or if I have a family, I can't have a career. You know, there, there should be a way that certain things can coexist, you know, and the pandemic, I believe, has allowed for that a, a little bit more. Well, I hope it lasts. Um, yes. Uh, we're a tech site. You know, uh, do you consider yourself a, a big user of tech? I'm sure you have a smartphone, but what's your relationship with tech? Yeah. So, you know, uh, before I came back into the business full time, I was doing executive producing a docu-series and uh, my co-executive producer and I had to spend quite a bit of time learning various programmings, editing programmings and that sort of thing. And I think I had a very basic knowledge of computers and that sort of thing. Uh, but once you know, someone says I need to download programs so I can look at editing film, then it was a whole other thing. So I would say I'm probably better than a beginner. Um, you know, I've got a lot more to learn, but I enjoy it. I actually wish I understood more because everything is moving to, to a digital platform. I mean, everything, you know, it's not just your banking. It's not just your news. It's, it's everything. And I have to tell you, I shot two episodes of Queen Sugar a few months ago from my Atlanta apartment vis-a-vis -vis my computer. And wow. to me, that is significant 
because it saves studios and networks a whole lot of money. And I thought, well, I wonder how technology is really going to change the face of filmmaking. When, when the director can be in one state, the cinematographer can be in another state, the actor can be in another state, and then they can manage to digitally put it on television, which they do. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely moving in that direction. We saw the change in the distribution of entertainment with streaming, obviously, coming to the fork because you couldn't go to the movie theaters. Um, but tech is changing a lot of things. Um, what's your favorite piece of tech? Probably my my computer, uh, my, you know, my MacBook computer. But I'm but I'm I'm right now thinking that I want to be a bit more mobile in in moving around. And so I've been I've been exploring these larger iPads and the the keypads that are not attached to the iPads. And so you kind of can put everything in your purse and move about, you know. So you know, I'm I'm trying to decide do I want the iPad Pro like the larger screen that's faster or do I want the one that's slightly smaller? But you know, it seems that we're even moving away from walking around with laptops now. Well, you want an iPad, I think, as a, or a tablet of some kind with a detachable keyboard for your very point, because it fits into your purse. Um, we can give you some advice on that at CNET, but uh, oh, great. if you could have a piece of tech invented for you, what would it be? Oh gosh, if I could have a, a piece of tech invented for me, I'd have that, I'd have that, that moment that was in, um, what was the Robert Downey Jr. movie um, where Iron Man, where he's just, you know, he's, he, you know, it just, the screen just appears in the middle of the air. Right. You know, a so, virtual screen with the yeah, hand movements. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that when I'm, you know, on the set or I'm, you know, I don't know wherever I happen to be, I don't need any equipment. I can just, you know, kind of wave my hands in the, in the sky. <laughs> you know, wave my hands in the sky and there it is, you know, whether it's FaceTiming or downloading editing programs or whatever it is, I would love to not have to have any type of equipment that it's just kind of virtually there. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to, that's a good, cool thing. Virtual tech, hand motions to swipe, bring up all sorts of visuals, edit your movie in the air. Yeah. Oh, all of it, all of it. All of it. I mean, it's a little frightening. The idea of it scares me a little bit. But, you know, at this point, we all have to get on board because it's, you know, the, as I say, the train has left the station. It's gone. It's a it's a bullet train now. Michael, Michelle, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. And we really appreciate it. Good luck. Um, thank you. On Dynasty and being even more outrageous in episodes to come. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Michael Michelle for talking with me, and thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe.